of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones, and I am so glad you have joined me today as I am continuing through this psalm project that I started early last year. I think it was January or February of 2022, and this will go through the majority of this year. So this is a nearly two-year project where I'm setting all of the psalms, all 150 of them, to music. I am already working on Psalm 119. I have a really cool idea that I think will work well for it, but it is a very lengthy psalm, which is why I'm already working on the composition of it right now. Most of these psalms uh, I'm able to do the week of, and compose two a week, set them to music, give my commentary on it. Psalm 119 is lengthy, so that's why I'm starting it early. But here we are today in Psalm 89, and uh, why Psalm 89 is significant is because it ends book three. And so we are moving on to book four after this, beginning with Psalm 90. Um, Psalm 89 is also fairly lengthy in its text, so I will not read the text because this is a setting where I am reading the text in the musical setting. It has a refrain that I have set, and it's in a gospel style, and then the text is read. So you will hear me reading it during the recording of the psalm. Um... But I will give my commentary on some things that stand out in Psalm 89. It is titled, A Meskill of Ethan the the Ezraite. And it opens joyfully, but it's really a lament. And so you will will see that and hear that throughout the reading of the text. Uh, But keep in mind, many of these psalms, even in the laments... Uh, focus on the steadfast love of the Lord. There is an aspect to it where even though the psalm is a lament, um, the the focus is turned always back to where it should be, to God and his glory and his promises. And so this one is no different. The issue at the heart of the psalm is the Davidic covenant. Uh, The Davidic covenant you can find in 2 Samuel uh, 7, verses 4 through 17, also in 1 Chronicles 17, 1 through 15. And in these verses, in these passages, God established a covenant with David in which he promised that the special relationship would pass on to David's obedient sons. Um, God's language was bold, but the covenant was to last forever, as you will see in 2 Samuel seven thirteen. Now, how is a covenant to last forever? When this earth does not last forever, we know that at some point, this earth will be destroyed. So how in the world will a covenant last forever? Well, if you know biblical prophecy, if you're a Christian, indeed, you would probably understand this, that the covenant, uh, the Davidic covenant lasts and, and a king is set on the throne forever through the lineage of David because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came through the lineage of David here on earth, but he is the eternal king. But this promise in the Davidic covenant was not without conditions upon the recipients. In other words, if they sinned, they would be 
uh, punished. Uh, listen to this from 1 Kings verses uh, 8, uh, 8.25, verse 8.25. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for yourself David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. So there was a condition. Keep in mind that God's promises are, uh, there are conditional promises and there are unconditional promises. Uh, everybody thinks that God's promises are always unconditional. Not everybody, but there a lot of people that is kind of a new age way of thinking that God's promises are always unconditional, and that is not the case. There are conditions, and you see that throughout Scripture. That if you turn from the ways of the Lord, there are uh, punishments. That, that his promises are not always unconditional. David's own son Solomon began his slide into apostasy by admitting the religious cults of his foreign wives. You see that in 1 Kings 11. And then the continuing disobedience of the Davidic kings resulted in the Babylonian exile and an end to the period of Israel's monarchy in the 6th century BC. But the spiritual substance of this promise of the Davidic covenant was not canceled. So Christ came to take the throne of David forever. Isaiah 9-7 says of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And he indeed did it. So Psalm 89, focusing on the steadfast love of the Lord, a lament, um, but yet one that focuses on the covenant of David and God's love for his people. Even though there is a lament, the promise is understood and the promise is kept. So I'm going to give you some, some of my commentary, some things that stand out. And in a lengthy psalm like this, there is a good bit. So uh, the psalm begins speaking of the steadfast love of the Lord. Verse 1, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. This is God's wonders of devotion to his people. And then he says, with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Now the refrain of the gospel setting that I have made um, it comes from this verse, from verse 1. Even though the psalm is a lament, this seems to be the central idea of the psalm. In other words, God, even though life is bad, which this should be our heart and our, our cry at all times, even though things might be bad, we understand that you are faithful to your people. So the psalmist here says he will speak of the faithfulness of the Lord. God is uh, not fickle, and he keeps his promises that he makes. Hope in the fulfillment of God's promises to David is what will motivate the lament at the end of the psalm. And then in verse 5, let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. The heavens here are personified, and the references to beings in heaven. In scripture, you have different references when, when heaven is mentioned. Uh, Paul, for example, mentions the third heaven. 
Um, you have the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. And to separate those, the third heaven would be actual heaven, the location, the place, heaven. Whereas you have the other two heavens, which is the heavens, the stars and the planets, the, what we see in space. And then the other heaven is the beings of heaven. And that's the cherubim and the angels. And so God is so great that even these powerful spiritual entities fall to their knees in adoration. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 6, where day and night the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it says, I will proclaim your wonders in the assembly of the holy ones. The angels and the other spiritual beings in heaven are God's divine assembly and those through whom he works his will. Verse 6, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Having mentioned the spiritual beings, the psalmist here is quick to point out the uniqueness of God. We often um, sort of make angels out to be more than they are. Uh, but keep in mind, they are always under the authority of God. Even Satan himself is under the authority of God. Uh, God could destroy Satan right now if it was his will. Uh, but that is not his will. Um, and so the writings of the Canaanites and the Mesopotamians also mention the assembly of the holy ones. But this was an assembly made up of different gods. The God of Israel here is the best of all the gods but wholly different from all of them. And so the Old Testament expresses his transcendence in numerous places. God is unique. He is holy. He is set apart. And then in verse 10, 10 we see a reference that we've seen recently. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. So like Leviathan, if you remember me mentioning Leviathan, uh, Leviathan in previous Psalms, Rahab here is a sea monster of Near Eastern mythology. And it sends forces of evil and chaos. Uh, for example, Job 9.13, God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the, help, the helpers of Rahab. Frequently the name of Rahab is applied to Egypt. We saw that in Psalm 87. But here... Uh, Rahab, now keep in mind, Rahab was the prostitute that helped pro the spies of Israel. Uh, but here, Rahab, not referring even to Egypt, referring to a, a monster in Near Eastern mythology. And then in verse 11, The heavens are yours, the earth is also yours, the world, all that is in it, you have found in them. Unlike the heathen gods, the Lord is the creator of the world. I've often found it ironic when other cultures and other nations worship gods that they themselves have created. God himself is the one that created everything. And so this psalm already is looking to the power of God. Even though it, it goes into a lament, it is already focused on the power and the glory of God. Verse 12. The north and south you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. Um, if you remember one of the Psalms, I, I believe it was Psalm, uh, 46 May. I can't remember. Anyway, um, it mentions the peaks of Hermon. Hermon in the far North is the highest peak in Israel. And Tabor is a mountain of distinctive shape standing in the, 
Um, the Megiddo Plain. It's a landmark in the boundary of three tribes. And so here again, you have some geographical locations being referenced. Verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And so as king, God is responsible for the administration of the law in the land, and he does not judge arbitrarily. Verse 17, for you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. And that is the king. The metaphor of the horn is associated with that of the bull, which stands for strength. Often going into battle, uh, Israel, and in ancient times, a horn would be blown. It was a symbol of strength. God is the one who endows the human king with power. And this thought is specified really in the next line. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our king to the Holy One of Israel, in verse 18. And then in verse 19, of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one. The exact words of this vision are not found elsewhere in scripture, but the allusion is probably uh, to the prophetic insight of Nathan in 2 Samuel 7, if not to the initial divine word given to Samuel connecting David's kingship in 1 Samuel 6. So here again in Psalm 89, you're seeing this connection between the Davidic covenant that we see in the Old Testament and in 2 Kings um, and, and the people of Israel and God's promises to his people and specifically in relation to the Davidic covenant. Verse 21, I have found David my servant with my holy oil I have anointed him. And then in verse 21, so that my hand shall establish with him, my arm also shall strengthen him. The king had, a sa- had sacred responsibilities. Um, now we often, and, and I do this too, we try to compartmentalize and uh, keep in mind we are not a theocracy, okay? Um, here in the United States especially, we do not live in a theocracy. And my belief is that morality should not be legislated. Um, But when you're talking about the chosen people of God, ancient Israel, um, the Davidic covenant, when you're talking about these things, the position of king was not just a political one that could be separated from faith in God. The king had sacred responsibilities, both political and religious There was no disconnect between the two. So God promises to give David the strength he needs to carry out all of his divinely given tasks. We make the mistake often of putting ourselves, uh, ourselves, and when I say we, I mean the United States, (laughs) of putting ourselves in the place of Israel. We are not Israel. We are not Israel the chosen people of God. And so when we read these passages about God commanding Israel to kill and leave nothing living, to completely destroy and obliterate other people, this was a special responsibility given to Israel, not to us. And I am not at all saying that we should not protect ourselves. That is not what I am saying. But some of these things that we see the people of Israel, people might use that as, I hear it often from from atheists and and from people who are trying to um, uh, 
uh, argue against scripture, against Christianity, um, they, they might say, well, God commanded people to Israel to kill people. Well, yeah, he certainly did. And, and they use that as a sort of um, gotcha, like this is what your God did. He's evil. He's bad. <laughs> um, but keep in mind, Israel is God's chosen people. There is a unique, there is a special call upon God's chosen people. We are not them. And so um, these things that Israel perhaps was even allowed to do that we are not allowed to do, um, that is because they are God's chosen people. And keep in mind that there were times when they disobeyed, when they did not kill everyone and they intermarried and consequences came. I digress. <laughs> Verse 24, my faithfulness and steadfast love shall be with him. Again, we're talking about the steadfast love of God. These two key words reverberate throughout the psalm and we've already seen it already. The steadfast love of God. Verse 26, he shall cry to me, you are my father. This is a reference to the intimate relationship established between God and David in 2 Samuel seven fourteen. The king played an important role as mediator of the Davidic covenant between God and his people. And this special function made the apostasy of later kings especially heinous. Verse 27, and I will make him the firstborn. Calling David the firstborn means that he was the first in rank in the covenant community. The head of a household, as in Genesis 4 perhaps. And David in particular foreshadows Christ. He is sort of a, a type of Christ, uniquely the son of God and the head of the church. Ephesians 1.22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Then Hebrews 3.6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Verse 29, I will establish his offspring forever. The dynasty of David as an earthly political enterprise was long-lived, but not eternal. Again, I've already mentioned this. It fell because of the sins of David's successors. But superseding it as the reality casting a shadow was the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Verse 31, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my command. So this is the condition. God's will as summarized in the first five books of the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 17, 19 commands the king to be well versed in God's law and obedient to it. Verse 34, I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. God's promises stand forever and the Davidic covenant has a conditional element as the Psalm points out. But its ultimate uh, fulfillment really does not depend on human response. God is faithful to his promises. David and the psalmist knew that it would be fulfilled, but they could not know everything about how that would occur. Acts 2, 29 through 31, brothers, I may say to you, and sisters, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him 
that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So the psalmist here and David knew that the promises of God would be fulfilled. Verse 38, but you have cast off and rejected, uh, but you are, uh, but now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. The focus of the psalm here shifts to the present and the great rift in the relationship between God and the king. When he says you're anointed, he is speaking of an unspecified Davidic successor to the throne. Verse 39, you've renounced the covenant with your servant. So the psalmist is outspoken here, speaking boldly in his appeal to break God's supposed silence. Verse 41, all who pass by plunder him. God's absence is experienced through the victory of their enemies. Verse 49, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old? God's loving kindness is the love by which God binds himself to his people in covenant devotion. And then book four, or sorry, book three ends, as most of these do, with a, a doxology. So the psalmist here has started with a praise to God, gone into the lament, and then ends, as we've seen with other laments, it is framed by praise to God, acknowledging who he is and praising him. The last verse, verse 52, blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. So the, the doxology concludes book three, and then we will move on into uh, book four, which... Um, interestingly, begins with a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Um, but here we are, ending book three in Psalm 89. As I've said, I've set this in a gospel setting, sort of a joyous setting, because the focus is the steadfast love of God. And you will hear the lament read through the scriptures as I am reading them in the recording. But then throughout the reading, um, you will hear the refrain sung as a praise to God. Uh, and it, it, the refrain is that first verse, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. So uh, thank you for joining me today. And thank you for listening to the Act of Worship podcast. Here is Psalm 89, concluding book three, set to music. I appreciate you listening today. Thank you for joining me on the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Yeah.
will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still live. Crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Steadfast love of the Lord forever and ever. With my lips I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to the one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. 
like the moon it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. Steadfast love of the Lord Forever and ever With my lips I will Make known your faithfulness To all generations But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become a scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword. And you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked, and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations, with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Steadfast love of the Lord Forever and ever With my lips I will Make known your faithfulness To all generations, yeah I will sing of the Steadfast love of the Lord Forever and ever With my lips I will Make known your faithfulness